From ABC News, this is Powerhouse Politics with ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. Joining me, I've got ABC News political analyst Matthew Dowd. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, John, here in Austin, Texas. Excellent. And we also have ABC News political director Rick Klein, uh, one of the shrewdest analyst of all things political, but a very slow runner. Good morning, Rick. I don't know <laughs> if I need to respond to that un, un, uninitiated no need, attack. No need, no uh, need. You're a con artist, John Carl, but uh, I'm happy to be on from Houston the morning after the debate. All right, well, I am driving en route from Houston to Fort Worth where Donald Trump is going to hold a, uh, what I'm told is going to be a very big press conference uh, today coming out of uh, Fort Worth. And uh, let me tell you, what a debate. And we've got a great podcast here. We are recording the day after the debate here Friday, uh, February 26th, the day before the Democratic primary in South Carolina. And we have an all-star lineup. We've got an interview with Donald Trump himself. We also have an interview with Mr. Establishment, a 92-year-old Bob Dole who had some very interesting things to say about Trump. But let me ask you, to start with you, Rick, that debate, Marco Rubio, where had that guy been? It, it, he was he was a different human being than he has been for the previous what nine debates or so. You know, he, no one has taken I think debate strategy more seriously than Rubio. He's gone in with a mission each time, and sometimes that mission was uh, frankly embarrassing to his campaign when it was essentially to do no harm. You saw what happened with a bad performance up against Chris Christie, the the Robo Rubio uh, idea catching hold, and he went in. Uh, to this most recent debate with an absolute mission, which was to take on Donald Trump and to see him unload just piece after piece, everything that's in the oppo book, dumping it on Donald Trump's head. All the supporters were saying, where was this guy like last summer before people started buying what Trump was selling? So, Matthew, I, I know you don't think this is really going to be enough to change it for Marco Rubio and to take down Trump, but what's the best case scenario uh, for Rubio coming out of a debate like this? Well, I think I think that first, uh, Marco Rubio landed some jabs, but I don't think there was any knockouts, or it's certainly no knockouts, but also no knockdowns in the course of this. And I think what you see in these debates at this point is the people line up in their collective buckets and then look at everything through those buckets. And I don't see a lot of voters changing. Here's what I think is going to happen. But the best scenario for Marco Rubio is a lot of the allegations and the things that he launched last night. Not don't hurt Donald Trump last night, but if they're picked up and there's a conversation in the course of the next few days and the next few weeks on some specific allegations that then stick to Donald Trump, then I think it could have an effect. I think right now what we're faced with is I don't see this debate dramatically changing the events come Super Tuesday, dramatic movement in the course of that and when Donald Trump, if that's the case, wins most nearly every state on Super Tuesday, it sort of wipes clean what happened. Because at that point in time, Marco Rubio, the question becomes, well, you threw everything at him and you still didn't win a single state on Super Tuesday. Where do you go from here? Okay, but we, we're, we're what, seven, eight months, whatever it is, into this campaign. And we heard things about Donald Trump that we have not heard yet. Uh, from any of the candidates. We heard the attack on Tr Donald Trump University, uh, which of course is the subject of a number of lawsuits. We heard the attack that he had used illegal immigrants to help clear the way for Trump Tower. These would seem to be like the oppo 
that you would hear much earlier in a campaign. Where was this stuff? And what of it, if anything, do you think would be most effective against Trump? Well, I, I, first, I think that, I think just looking at Marco Rubio in, in specifically, who they obviously had this information for a while. I think Marco Rubio in the campaign had decided their brand was the aspirational, optimistic, I'm not going to attack fellow Republicans, I'm going to be like Ronald Reagan, I'm going to talk about the dream of America and all of that, in which is how he has conducted himself for the last nine or ten months, and how he conducted himself in nearly every single debate. And I think they probably had a serious debate as, this is how we've run, we're now going to completely shift our strategy and no longer run as the aspirational, non-attacking candidate, we're now going to go after Donald Trump. And so I think it was a decision they made, whether it was the right decision nine months ago to run at that, um, and maybe it's the, the aspirationals who, who who Marco Rubio authentically is and the person that showed up last night, who knows? But I think that's the decision they made and now they've abandoned that nine month strategy to go to a new one. Rick? Well, I think the, the, the issue with Trump, to borrow, to borrow a phrase that a friend, Kevin Madden, Republican strategist used on TV, Donald Trump was always somebody else's problem for these guys. And now he's everybody's problem. So they've had to adjust the tax. I mean, I think Rubio's even been asked about it recently and say, look, he didn't want to have to go there. He didn't want to have to be this. But uh, talking to his aides in the spin room afterward, they said that the strategy going in was we have to show that we can go toe to toe with Donald Trump for people that want to see that, for people that want to see the action. The problem is, though, we're not at a time where, where Donald Trump is some vaguely defined unknown figure. That might have happened back in August, but people are voting for him by large numbers. He got 46% of the vote in Nevada, a state where Marco Rubio has some roots, where he lived for a couple of years as a, as a child, and he talks about the story all the time. So I don't think we're in a phase where, look, voters are bought into what's going on with Trump. And, and I don't know that there's any indication that anything that's said or done about Donald Trump is going to suddenly change their minds. The only strategy Rubio has, which is by the way, the only strategy Cruz has is dependent on other people getting out of the race, getting that one-on-one -on -one shot. They're not going to win this the regular way, the quote-unquote regular way, where you're just putting out ideas that are better than the other guy. You have to hope for these bank shots where other people get out, all the support goes in your direction, and you start to win, because otherwise this is going to be a blowout. All right, let's take a listen to what Donald Trump himself told me just after he got off that debate stage. Mr. Trump, oh, John, how are you, sir? My man. Good to Good. see you. Take before you interview, just take a look. Every single bull leading. So, so how did it feel up there? You, they, think, they really I went after it, you. Well, I expected that. So yeah. do you. I mean, they have no choice. They're losing by a lot. And they thought they were going to win, and they're losing by a lot. And I guess based on all the polls that I'm seeing from Drudge to Time to CNN, where they have it right behind us, I won the debate. I thought it was a really good debate. I liked it. I had, I had fun, but it was nasty. And uh, I think I expected it to be nasty. I don't think they had a choice. To be honest, I don't think they had a choice. What do you think the way Marco Rubio came after you? Because that was new for well, him. Well, I think he's a lightweight. I mean, I think the guy's a lightweight, and I just, uh, you know, I watched him melt down, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit suspect. You know, I've always been an athlete. I've always understood sports well, and I understand people well. That's what I do. And I watched him melt down four weeks ago in New Hampshire, and I've never seen anything like that. He was, it looked like he just got out of a swimming pool. Where he kept repeating himself, repeating himself against Chris Christie. And when you see that, I think you probably have a different feeling towards somebody. Because you've been pretty easy on him in this. He's not been somebody you've been Well, really I was easy after. until he hit me tonight, and then I wasn't so easy. Do you think you'll go after him more? Do you think, do you think he's a threat I don't think there's much time, no. I mean, I'm leading Florida by 20 points. Who's the biggest threat left here? 
They were all threats. Look, let's say they were all threats, I guess. But, you know, we're doing very well. You see the polls came out. Bloomberg just came out with a poll where I'm leading everything by a lot. We're going to make America great again. We're going to put smart people in charge. We're not going to have the political establishment that doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, all, I just said it. I said it in my summation. Politicians, I know them better than anybody. They're all talk. They're no action. They're never going to get you there. So can you put it away on Super Tuesday if you find a way to win here in well, Texas? Or I'd love else? to win Texas. And I shouldn't say that to you because you'll say, oh, he didn't win Texas. Well, or I know you're but, running against the home but state. I, I, I am running against somebody. I'm now even with him. I don't think he's very good. Uh, I don't think he does a great job for the people of Texas, and I think I have a really good chance of beating him. I have so many friends in Texas. It's almost like home territory for me. I'm here a lot. I think it's a great place, great people, and I think I have a great chance of winning Texas. So what's with all the audits? Oh, yeah, I'm constantly audited, which I think is very unfair. I have friends that are very rich that never get audited. I'm audited every year, I think, for 12 years, 13 years. And, I mean, long beyond this administration. Right. I can't just blame Obama, but I'm audited all the time. And I, I ask the question, I ask my accountants all the time, how come every year I'm audited? I think it's very unfair because I have friends so rich and never get audited. So why do you think it is? I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but I go through it. And I'd love to give you my returns, but I can't do it while I'm under audit. But after the audits are completed, I'd love to do it. I heard you mention you thought it might be because of religion. It might be some kind of a religious well, bias. I mean, you know, you've heard about that before. And perhaps uh, I'm very strong in terms of Christianity. And I'm very, very strong. And people know that. And maybe it's a religious bias. Maybe it's not. It probably isn't. But uh, there's a certain reason. Why am I audited every single year for many years? And people that are very rich also are never audited. You know, it's a question we have to ask. All right, Mr. Trump, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank Appreciate you very your much. time. Thank Mr. You Trump, Trump. Now that was classic Donald Trump, Rick. He had just a few minutes earlier said on CNN that he believed that, uh, that these audits were based on kind of a religious bias because he's such a strong supporter of Christianity. And then I ask him about it and he says, well, probably not. Uh, yeah, that's that's a clinic in how to be Trump. He he takes this attack. Mitt Romney launches this unexpected out of left field attack the day before the debate and says maybe there's something. I think there's reason to believe that something's hiding in this uh, in these tax returns. And in the space of 24 hours, he goes from well, I may release it at some point to I'm under siege and it's Obama's fault and it's because I'm a Christian. And he turns it around. I mean, the, the, all the unanswered questions: why he can't release old years returns or release partial returns while the audit's going on. He, at one point, he said it was two or three years then later he said it was four or five years now he says it's basically every year you know it's only it stokes the the concerns and the suspicions but it also puts pits him as the as the guy standing up against all these insiders who are trying to bring him down it's just it's astounding how he does it and that you can almost hear his mind work in that interview matthew he does not seem particularly bothered at least there by marco rubio well, no, as in the, in the immediate aftermath of it. And I think he probably has some reason to believe. I, I mean, I, as you as survey the landscape of what everybody's saying about what is this debate going to do, especially the partisans who want to take Donald Trump out, I remember the exact same people saying the exact same things after the South Carolina debate when Donald Trump attacked a popular president, attacked the audience, attacked, you know, the incumbent United States Senator in South Carolina. He did all that. And basically it was like, oh, Donald Trump hits this. Is it, he's going to have it. He lost the debate. It was a disaster. It's going to change the results of South Carolina. Boom. Donald Trump wins South Carolina. And I don't think the predictive quality 
of performance on debate stage, which you could uh, you could say that Donald Trump didn't have his greatest night. I don't think at this point any of this right now, unless something sticks in a storyline, substantive storyline, any of this affects Donald Trump's level of support. All right, we've got to take a quick break, but coming up next, our exclusive interview with Bob Dole. ABC News Radio. The situation unfolding in the streets of Ferguson is absolutely chaotic. Another volley of shots, five or six gunshots. Honored with the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for overall excellence for the second year in a row. We're at the Al Aqsa Martyrs Hospital, which has been hit by Israeli tank shells. There's a gun battle raging in the streets of Kiev. There is some sort of debris in the water. We will be the first plane on site. The best team in radio is right here. ABC News Radio. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl. We are a Friday, the day after the big Republican debate in Houston, the day before the Democratic primary in South Carolina. I am driving from Houston to Fort Worth to see yet another Donald Trump event. I'm joined by my friend Rick Klein, ABC News political director. So Rick, you and I took a journey to visit perhaps the most uh, if there's anybody you could say is the Republican establishment, it's this guy. We went to talk to Bob Dole. Senator Bob Dole, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. All right. Well, it's good to be here. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of softball questions. <laughs> we just had to come in and check in with you about this crazy primary this year. What's your take? What's going on? I wish I knew. You know, Trump is said a lot of things over the top, but he keeps on winning. I mean, you've got such a unique perspective on this because you've run for the nomination and lost. You've run for the nomination and won. Did you ever think we'd see a situation like this with somebody who has said all the things that Donald Trump has said, seeming to, to, to be running away with it? I really regret he made the remark about President George Bush uh, lying about WMDs because to say he lied about it, I think, was not the right thing to do. I think he owes an apology to President Bush. Now that my good friend Jeb Bush is no longer running, I'm supporting Rubio. Wait, did we just make some news here? So you're, you're endorsing Marco Rubio? Right. And he's young, two years older than Kennedy was when he was elected, three years younger than Obama when Obama was elected. And he wants to grow the party. You heard the things that Jeb Bush said about him, and he knows him very, very well. Said that he's never run anything before, was too inexperienced. The party shouldn't make the same mistake the Democrats did in going with the first-term senator in Obama. Do you, do you have any of those concerns that he w just simply wouldn't be ready for the job? Well, he has a lot of friends in the Senate, which means he must be doing something right. One point that hasn't been made enough in the debates, these candidates say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. You know, they have to deal with Congress. Ted Cruz, for example, doesn't have a single senator supporting him. Not one. They don't like him. On the other hand, uh, Rubio is well-liked and I think could bring not only Republicans but Democrats together. We're coming into Super Tuesday. If Marco Rubio can't stop Trump there, if, if he can't win a state, at least a couple of states, can, can he win the nomination? He's got to start winning a state or two. 
And there's some opportunities, and they're not all southern states. But if Trump sweeps on Super Tuesday? Then I think you start printing the inaugural invitation. You've been an observer and a participant in the Republican Party for so long. What happened to the party along the way? I don't know. They keep talking about the establishment. That's you, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's, I know. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> the establishment means you've had some experience, which I never thought was bad. So what would it mean for the Republican Party if Donald Trump were the nominee? Trump has to start acting like a presidential candidate and tone down the rhetoric and don't insult anybody. We need, if we're going to have an opportunity to win, someone uh, who understands government, who's had some experience, and that brings me back to Rubio. But could Trump win the presidency if he gets the Republican nomination? He could. He's got to understand that the presidency is you know, it's an overwhelming position, and you can't do it alone. And you've got to have qualified people with some experience. You can't bring in all the outsiders. You know, he's a pretty smart guy. He's, he might surprise a lot of people. But Cruz, you think, would, would lose a general election? I think he would lose, and I think we'd lose a lot of Senate seats. I don't know who Ted Cruz appeals to. I don't know why I've heard him say the word Republican. It's always conservative. Well, there's no place on the ballot for extreme conservatives, so he runs as a Republican. But it sounds to me like what you're saying is that Donald Trump may surprise people and be a better president than a lot of people right now say that it's unthinkable. Well, you got to be realistic. I mean, if he has a good day on Super Tuesday, it's going to be hard to deny him the nomination. You've got to hope he'll be a good president. You think he could be? I think he could be. There's a story that emerged just since the death of Justice Scalia that there was actually talk in 96 of you choosing Justice Scalia uh, as your running mate. And there was a lot of discussion about it. Scalia didn't say yes or no. He was thinking about it. Well, he was thinking about it, but I think he was also thinking about if he left the bench, Clinton would have another appointment. And, you know, he loved the court. What might he have brought to the ticket in 96? He would have really brought the conservatives plus Italian-Americans. And even more of a sense of humor. I mean, between the two of you, it would have been... <laughs> yeah, we'd so, have a lot of fun on the trail. <laughs> well, Senator Dole, I covered your presidential campaign. and got a chance to cover you a bit in the Senate. And uh, always, always have enjoyed talking to you. I wish you'd have made it possible for me to win the presidency. <laughs> instead of just cover me. Well, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. So, Rick, I was most struck not by Dole endorsing Marco Rubio, but by the fact that he seems willing to visualize, accept, maybe even embrace the idea of a President Donald Trump. Uh, uh, astounding. You can almost hear him make the, the calculation that it might work. You know, <clears throat> the office where we did that interview uh, was one of the coolest, had one of the coolest picture displays I've ever seen. It had pictures of of Bob Dole individually with every president of the United States going back to Eisenhower. So that's right, Kennedy and Johnson all the way through President Obama. And I, I had the sense that he was coming to terms with the idea that he could be pictured next to Donald Trump, that this could actually be a thing. And the way that he, in his mind is it would be a less bad option 
than Ted Cruz. I think he views Trump not as the best option. Clearly, he endorses Rubio here, but as a, as a realistic option, as someone that could be a deal maker, maybe even be a Bob Dole type uh, if he achieves the White House. I was stunned by that. I did not see that coming. And he mentioned a, a man by the name of Michael Glasner, who is the uh, one, one of the top people in the Trump campaign. He's one of the maybe the only true political professional, uh, party political professional, basically acts as Trump's political director. And he had been Bob Dole's uh, top political advisor uh, back in the 1996 campaign. Dole said he'd been to all 50 states with Glasner, uh, you know, organized a strategy for all 50 states. And what's interesting is Dole's been in contact with his old his old advisor, even as he's working for Trump. Yeah, it, it, it made me think that, you know, Trump has, for all the bluster and all the cartoon ways and the name calling and all that, he actually has hired the political professionals. He's trying to win this thing. He's a better politician than people have given him credit for. He's got a staff that knows what they're doing. The fact that he... Came in a close second in, in Iowa and then reeled off three wins in a row. The fact that he's so well positioned to win maybe 10 out of 11 states on Super Tuesday, it's not just because he's got a loud mouth and because he's a reality star. They're doing things on the ground to, to put this in action. And that may be the piece of, of, of his campaigning that makes someone like a Bob Dole say maybe this guy would be an okay president. Well, I think it's going to be interesting. I wonder if, how much of a, you know, Dole is kind of potentially at 92 years old, going to be setting a trend here. If if Trump runs away with this on Super Tuesday, uh, you know, essentially almost clinches uh, on March 15th. Those are two big ifs. We'll see how much Marco Rubio changed the dynamic with this debate. But but if it becomes inevitable that, that Trump's going to be the nominee, are we going to see more people like Bob Dole saying, you know what, maybe he won't be that bad. And uh, I wonder if we're going to see, if we're going to see Trump hire more of the political professionals. He's already said that, as a vice presidential candidate, he, he'd look for somebody with Washington experience, something of an insider. Very telling to me is the fact that you've got these multiple dump Trump movements, stop Trump movements that have risen up inside the Republican Party, inside conservative circles, and people are loud and proud and vowing to take him down. But they're not really getting big money, and they're not getting big support from the, the political establishment. Every once in a while, someone will go out there. You get like a Lindsey Graham going out there and, and calling him a charlatan. Uh, but it, it doesn't have enough sustained momentum behind it. And I think, look, I, I think political insiders, the establishment, they're as realistic as anyone else. They, they know they need to get their jobs done. They're not going to go die for a cause. They need to work with the next president of the United States. And they would rather that Donald Trump is that president, if you're a Republican establishment member, than Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. So they start to cut their deals. And uh, I, I think it is just a, 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 a political survival instinct that, that is making them say, maybe he's not so bad. But that is astounding, and it only helps Trump at this critical period when you've got, as you say, this basically a three-week stretch where it's possible to, to slow his momentum. After that, if he's off and running, he will be the Republican nominee. All right, Rick, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this incredible moment from last night's debate. What have they done in the past? What kind of judgments have they made? What kind of associations do they have? That will tell you a lot more than an interview will tell you. The fruit salad of their life is what I will look at. The fruit salad of their life. When we come back, we go directly to Ben Carson to find out what the heck was he talking about? Tuesday night, 
the biggest test yet for the remaining presidential candidates. It's going to be an amazing two months. Super Tuesday. We never doubted each other. We're all frustrated, but you have to solve a problem. Oklahoma, are you ready to make history? Join me, ABC's Aaron Katursky, and our powerhouse political team for live coverage of Super Tuesday. Your voice, your vote. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. So Rick Klein, ABC's political director, I, I don't know if you figured out yet who or what is the fruit salad of your life, but that was one of the most unusual moments that I have ever heard in any debate of any kind, let alone a Republican presidential debate. Uh, uh, kiwis and pomegranate seeds, uh, maybe some pineapple if it's very ripe. That, that I'd like to be the fruit salad of my life. Uh, in the meantime, I guess wow. we're just going to have to settle for Ben Carson's strange metaphors to be the fruit salad of every political reporter's life. Because y- y- you're right, there is no one who can quite turn and butcher a phrase quite like Ben Carson. Okay, but what was he talking about? We wanted to know. So we sent our man, Josh Haskell of ABC News, to talk to Ben Carson immediately following that debate and get to the bottom of this. Here's what Josh found out. What did you mean by the fruit salad of their life, Dr. Carson, when it comes to the Supreme Court justice? Um, There's a verse in the Bible that says, by their fruit you will know them. So, obviously, you know, how they live their lives, what it produces, that's the fruit salad of their life. And what would you look at specifically when it comes to selecting the next Supreme Court justice? Uh, I would look at what have they done in their professional career, Uh, what kind of judgments have they made, Uh, what kind of people are they? What are their accomplishments? Who do they associate with? Uh, all of those things, I think, are going to be very important in telling you who they are. And that will tell you a lot more about who they are than the interview process, for which they <coughs> practice and know what things to say. You know, that was a big moment in the Powerhouse Politics podcast history, uh, Rick. That was the first time we've ever heard from Josh Haskell. And what a, what a, what a straight man. I mean, that was, that was impressive, wasn't it? Oh yeah, only the best. If you get if you get Carson, you get that moment to, to get it to explain itself. You know, I I think the the question increasingly for Carson is what are you doing out there? He literally has no path to the nomination at this stage. The only reason you can see him sticking around is to take away Ted Cruz votes. Uh, and you know, short of uh, something a lot bigger than fruit, he's not going to be the Republican nominee. But he did have another uh, pretty wonderful moment in the debate when he at one point just said, please attack me. Someone attack me. <laughs> a good he wanted to get a little time. Yeah, exactly. A good, a good final word for his, uh, for his campaign, if nothing else. You know, similarly, John Kasich, really not a factor in that debate. I'll tell you one thing, John, his people couldn't be happier to talk about how he was a non-factor. They say that's playing the game. But man, does he have to weather a tough stretch of states to, to get to the point where he can break through again in Michigan? I mean, these 11 states coming up Super Tuesday, he's not in the mix to win any of them. And to have that kind of losing streak, to say, uh, I've lost 14, 15 straight contests, but still I'm going to be the nominee, uh, that's a tough one. And yet, on paper, as we've discussed, he is clearly the most qualified candidate in the race. You know, uh, two-term governor, member of Congress who actually was directly involved with producing a balanced federal budget, uh, private sector experience. It's... Why, why can't he break through? 
Well, you're, you're looking at this through the prism of the old, crusty political reporter that you are, right? That, that's how yeah. you've won nominations for decades, but it's just not what works anymore. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the three, the final three standing this time are going to be Donald Trump, this, you know, ultimate outsider, businessman, blustery, all that, and these two mid-40s first-term Cuban-American senators, you know, the, the country seems to like politicians that are brand new, that are fresh, that offer something different. Um, you know, it, it, the question now is, is just how quickly this thing can get wrapped up. You know, both candidates telling, uh, their, their campaign said something identical to me in the spin room, that this is going to be a long race. That, that's Cruz and Rubio both saying this thing's going to last a while. Donald Trump saying the opposite. He could get this thing wrapped up if he beats these guys in their home states over the next three weeks. So the only way that this thing can possibly go to someone other than Trump is, it for, is, this, is for this to be a long, grinded-out process. And right now, there's just not a sign of that happening. Okay, so that brings me right to our final point, Rick. You are the political director. You're an expert on all things political. You've been following this race closely. You know the candidates. You know the staff. Tell us, what is going to happen on Super Tuesday? Donald Trump's going to win 10 states uh, out of 11. I believe Ted Cruz holds on to Texas, but that's it. Uh, Cruz, once this calendar was very friendly to him early in the process, these SEC states, these southern states, now it's an enemy because if he doesn't walk away with a good chunk of delegates on Tuesday, he's got less friendly terrain coming up. The flip, the flip is true for Rubio. Now, Rubio could get shut out of every state that votes, uh, which is devastating to him. But his campaign is talking about delegates. There's a bunch of states that have delegate thresholds around 20% of the vote. If you get 20%, you're guaranteed to get at least some delegates. And they feel like if they can accumulate along the way, uh, make a statement against Cruz, get him out of the way, then they have a chance to, to win head-to-head -head in Florida on March 15th. None of these candidates are under any illusions that they can win without winning their home state. That's absolutely critical. And it's still possible that that's not enough. So I think, if look, if Rubio is able to to pull off a surprise like in, a, in, in, in one of the states that, you know, like a Colorado, for instance, that no one is no one is looking for uh, Kansas and Oklahoma, something something surprising. That would be great. Realistically, he, he does not have a path to win anything until March 15th. Uh, so I, I'm looking at those delegate th those percentage thresholds in a bunch of states to make sure that no one gets blown out because you got to stay close. Uh, Donald Trump will emerge Super Tuesday as the winner of the most states, by far the most delegates. It won't be insurmountable yet, but it, but it's going to be getting close to that. Okay, you're almost right, Rick, but you are wrong on one critical point. Uh, Marco Rubio will win at least one state on Super Tuesday, and the race in Texas is going to be very close. Uh, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Cruz loses his home state. I would agree with you. He's probably going to win. But I would say there's a 30 to 40 percent chance that he gets upset in his home state. So, and then does he uh, go so immediately? That, the, uh, th thank you, John. I appreciate you. You give me partial credit here. But does, does Cruz go immediately, or does he stick around as kind of a zombie candidate uh, without a realistic path uh, beyond that, knowing that uh, you know that, that that Rubio isn't particularly strong either? Cruz strikes me as a candidate that is going to stay in this forever. He's going to want to keep compiling delegates. He's going to see some kind of a path. He's going to want those delegates on the outside shot that there is a uh, contested convention. I, I don't think, I think even if, even if Cruz were to get upset in Texas, even if he were to get shut out of all those southern states that he had bet his entire campaign on, 
he does not strike me as a candidate that is going to get out uh, really before the convention. That scenario plays directly into Trump's hands. That's what I'd say about that. This is going to be a fascinating three weeks, maybe the most important three weeks of the campaign. All right. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Now, please subscribe to us if you like us. Uh, write a review. Spread the word. Get your friends to subscribe. This is a brand new podcast. Rick Klein, ABC News political director. Matthew Dowd, ABC News political analyst. And me, Jonathan Carl, ABC News chief White House correspondent. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics.